What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transform. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and I have the privilege of being your host, both of this show and also of the TV series. Today, I have something special where all along I've asked you guys to write in and provide whatever question that would be relevant for this particular show. And you've done that. So I appreciate you guys engaging with me. Today, I want to do my best to answer some of the questions that you guys have provided. And as I do this, my goal as the show continues on, is that I could actually serve you as the listener. I think at times it can be maybe a ploy or at times it's used to actually broaden the content. But I want you to see that the way I would like to approach the questions that you provide is to help you think about what we're talking about and to serve you in that way. Many times in the realm of counseling, once I've provided a principle, people really appreciate whenever I tease that principle out in a specific application. So when I'm teaching on divorce and remarriage yesterday in class, students appreciate the principle, but then some of the immediate things that they have is, but what about in this scenario? And I find that a lot of the questions that have been asked are taking the principles that we've discussed and then even applying them to what about this particular scenario? So I'm hoping to continue to do this as you guys provide them. Now, remember, as you write, you're writing to Greg at Transformed dot org and I will get those and periodically use an episode like this to be able to answer those. So let's jump right in, shall we? Uh, the first question that was asked is in regard to marriage. So I'm going to read it and then try to provide a little bit of further context from the email I received. Her husband wrote and said, I, I want what is best for us, meaning his wife and he, and to take on a career option that has come to him where they would have a house and the opportunity for a new life. They have until spring to live where they are, but the problem is that his wife is reluctant. Perhaps you're listening to this and this is the question that you have provided. A job opportunity's come up, your wife's not thrilled about it, you perceive it to be a better option for you and your family, but again, your wife's not there yet. Uh, it seems like according to the question too that they currently live close to family, and she's not thrilled about leaving her family or moving away from them. I feel the tension of that at times as a married man, number one, uh, trying to make decisions in unity with my own wife. But then secondarily, a lot of marriage counseling that I do is helping couples think through not only the best option economically, but the best option for your family. And that does include finances at times, but it also includes times where you say no to a raise because you're prioritizing other aspects that are equally important as money. So let me try to answer some of the big picture principles and then give you a direct answer to the question. So big picture, we know that according to Genesis 2.24, that God wants us to leave behind mother and father, to hold fast to our spouses, and to become one flesh. When we become one flesh with our spouse, the reality is that 
that has taken place at the moment of marriage. Jesus says in Matthew 19, what God has joined together, uh, do not let man separate. So we know you are one flesh, but yet we know you also pursue unity in your marriage. The reality is that I am one flesh with my spouse. And, and everyone who's married, as you're listening to this, you are one flesh with your spouse. But yet you can do things that cause division with your spouse. And making decisions without their help is one way to do that. Making decisions without their agreement is a definite way to do that. So when we're making decisions as married couples, one of the things that we are focusing on is not necessarily the decision itself. Is the decision right or wrong? Or is the job right or wrong? Or is the car right or wrong? Or the private school right or wrong? That's the decision itself. We're really focusing on unity in our marriage. And unity in our marriage is a biblical thing. That is the, the very clear matter. God wants our marriages to be unified. I can put my finger on the Bible verse in Genesis chapter 2, which is reiterated throughout the rest of the Bible. I can put my, my finger on that Bible verse and say, God's will is for your marriage to be unified. So if you're preparing to make a decision that is not unified with your spouse, you're actually tugging at God's purposes for your marriage. So it's not about the job immediately or the potential raise immediately. It's about, am I unified with my spouse in making this decision? Focus, first of all, on marital unity and seek to honor each other's preferences. When that is the first priority, I don't make the decision and then go back to my spouse to double check that they're okay with it. I consider them as I'm making the decision. Do you see the difference? You see, sometimes we get upset with each other in marriage because what happens is we've already made the decision and then we go to our spouse to kind of inform them, hoping that they'll just say, oh, great, do it. But they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean by a raise? Or what do, you, what do you mean by you're taking a promotion or you have to travel more or we'd have to relocate? You see, if I bring them into the decision-making process and their feedback helps me to come to a conclusion, then I am going to actually come to an agreement with them, not come to an agreement without them, and then submit my plans to them. So this is the goal, that we're making decisions together in our marriage. Uh, one of the things that Todd Friel has offered on the Transform site is his drive-by marriage, and it is a biblical counseling resource to help your marriages. So when you have a second, I'd go on to the Transform store Todd Friel is the author, and he's going to just provide some helpful principles about marital unity. But in the end, would I say that you should take a promotion if that means that it will cause marital disunity? The answer is no, I would not. But what if I can buy a house, Dr. Gifford? Like, what if I'm going to get more money? What if we can move to a better part of town? It's like, hey, I don't think you should do it because I think marital unity is more important than a larger house a nicer part of town, and more money. In fact, and I would apply this particularly to men, and since this was a husband that asked this question, I would say, look, you have to be careful about making too many decisions that your wife does not appreciate because over time you will begin to exhaust her. And we as husbands want to refresh our wives, love them, nourish them, and cherish them, not cause them to be tempted to bitterness or distrust, that we're going to make decisions behind their back or make significant life decisions that will affect them that they were not a part of making that decision. So not only would I say that you shouldn't do it, but I would say if you did make that decision without your wife's consent, 
you're actually going to really damage your relationship. And if you do that enough, it cashes out significant relational equity that you have with your wife. Hope that's helpful to you. Thanks for trusting me and allowing me to speak into that. I'm going to try to start this next one at the last part of our segment, but I may have to carry it over into our next segment. First of all, this question is in regard to marital unity regarding the marriage bed. And uh, anytime I talk about these things on the show, or as you perhaps have watched in the TV series, I want to do my best to promote purity for both you as the listener and also for me as I'm talking these things through. Um, In marriage counseling, I will tell folks, look, when we begin to talk about sexual intimacy stuff, let's protect everyone's privacy and everyone's purity involved here. I want to be respectful in those ways. So as I answer these types of questions and as I do this on the TV show, I I want you to to know that I'm staying at a 30,000 foot level to help honor you, honor the Lord, uh, respect you, respect uh, the content of this question and do it in a way that hopefully is helpful and not unnecessarily provocative to you. So the question is, um, an individual has written in, again, another husband, and he has said, I'm struggling with resentment towards my wife because of what I feel is a lack of activity in the marriage bed. When I've brought up the issue in the past in each case, I am inevitably the bad guy who's putting pressure on my wife. I'm trying to lead my family, spiritually and biblically, and my wife would say that I do. I provide. I try to be as loving as, I try to be as, loving as a husband, loving as a father. My wife says I live up to those, but nothing has changed in nine years of marriage in our bed. Am I expecting too much or am I sinning in response to my wife sinning? Well, uh, let's talk this through for a second. First of all, I'd like you to grab your Bible and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is perhaps the clearest example in all of Scripture where we see sexual intimacy addressed for those who are married. Now, when we talk about sexual intimacy in marriage here, uh, Hebrews 13, those are going to be some of the clearest, and both are prioritizing purity. In fact, that's part of God's goal in sexual intimacy in marriage, is that sexual intimacy would contribute to the purity of the marriage. In verse 2, Paul says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Uh, So even in the context here, the question is, should we avoid sexual relations altogether? Chapter 7, verse 1, and Paul says, no, there is a place for sexual intimacy in the context of a marriage with one man and one woman, and that sexual intimacy should prevent sexual immorality. It should promote purity. So verse 3 says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Uh, One of the things that I want to start with in answering this question is providing a biblical framework for sexual intimacy. And big picture, the answer is that we want to glorify God in sexual intimacy. You see, the world has actually twisted our perspective of sexual intimacy to be about us and what we get. But the reality is that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible doesn't teach that sexual intimacy is about getting, but about giving, about serving your spouse, about protecting them. It's an expression of love. For many folks, it's going to be just one aspect of their intimacy, um, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, social would be other aspects of their intimacy. 
So if we're not careful, we start from a default position of I'm not getting, and that's not necessarily a biblical way to be thinking about it. It's am I providing and am I helping meet the needs of my spouse? And both the husband and the wife should be thinking that way. So let's do this. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to pick up with this thought. So thanks for joining us. Uh, We will be right back. All right. Well, as much as you didn't want us to take a break, that's how much I didn't want us to take a break either. I am definitely enjoying this episode so far of Transformed. Dr. Gifford has been answering your questions with clarity and with wisdom, and he's going to continue doing that. But we had to give him this quick breather to reset his brain and uh, regather his thoughts. And so while we're doing that, I want to take a moment to highlight a resource, a fantastic resource we have available at the Transformed website at transformed.org. It is a gem of a book titled It's Not Fair by Wayne Mack. It is a fantastic resource for those who have suffered uh, despair and, and affliction in their lives. Maybe maybe you're questioning God. And, and let me give you a small taste of what I'm talking about. In the book, Mack says, compassion is critical when we're hurting. When we think life isn't fair, what we're really saying is that God isn't fair. Somehow he's dealt us a bad hand. He has treated us as we don't deserve. It's Not Fair by Wayne Mack, and it's available now at transformed.org. And hey, while you're there on our website already, Let me bring something else to your attention. Listen, it takes a village to help produce a show like Transformed, to help people navigate complex emotional issues with the help of the Bible. That's what we're doing here on this broadcast. And we hope and pray that each and every episode is a source of light and understanding for you or someone that you know. And so I would ask you, while you're at Transformed.org, would you prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. It is your generosity and kindness that we rely on to produce transformed, wretched road trip to truth and all of our other resources. You can find out more on how to become a gospel partner at transformed.org. Now, speaking of resources, we have other resources at transformed.org, and these are for those of you who might be considering becoming a biblical counselor. We need biblical counselors today probably more than we ever have at any point in time in human history. And we want to help you get started on the journey and the path to becoming a biblical counselor and implementing a biblical counseling ministry in your local church. So while you're at transform.org, you can also pick up biblical counseling resources. And one that I would recommend is The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's a comprehensive guide to biblical conflict resolution and peacemaking. In the book, Sandy tells us that peacemaking doesn't always pacify. It corrects when necessary. You can find it now at transformed.org. All right. Well, Dr. Gifford, I think has had plenty of time now to readjust and reset his mind so he can continue answering your questions that you've sent in to Greg at transformed.org. And so let's get back to our Q&A with Dr. Gifford now right here on Transformed. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. 
All right, welcome back. We've been answering questions today, questions from you as the listener, and the most recent one is in regard to sexual intimacy. So I finished in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 by saying, first of all, sexual intimacy in the marriage is about glorifying the Lord. And we want to make sure that that's the framework. So it's, it's about serving Him, and it's about serving others. And the next aspect of 1 Corinthians 7 is that your goal is to do good to your spouse. And to do good in verse 3 is to provide their conjugal rights. And that is in the context of sexual intimacy. So if, if you read the context of chapter 6 moving into chapter 7, your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body is, first of all, the Lord's because he indwells you with his spirit. So as God's spirit indwells you, you're to steward your body in a pure way. And that's what it means to be a good steward of the temple that God has entrusted to you. But then secondarily, if you're married, then your body is for the good of your spouse. Uh, there are multiple implications with that. Uh, th that's everything from helping them physically, uh, serving them, uh, doing your best to be able to reach that tall object and hand it to them, uh, carry bags for them, that, that type of idea of using your body to serve them. And then in the particular context here of using your body in sexual intimacy to serve. So when we start to default to that position, it's not necessarily about getting, it's not about me, it's not about my interest. It's really about serving the Lord and honoring him. And then secondarily, serving my spouse. Once that becomes the, the motivation for sexual intimacy, it begins to change the way that we evaluate sexual intimacy. It's no longer about my fulfillment. It's about ensuring that I'm caring and serving my spouse. So if we're caring and serving our spouses, then fulfillment may come as a result of that, but fulfillment may not come uh, because it's not necessarily about fulfillment. It's about honoring the Lord and honoring them. So the third goal is fulfillment if possible, but fulfillment may not always be something that's possible. In fact, there are those that have gone through significant back pains physical illnesses, uh, they have been sick for years, they have chronic pain, and sexual fulfillment for them just isn't realistic. But there may be a sense in which they can help serve their spouse in those times. I also think of busier seasons, folks with younger kids at home or folks that are working a lot. They have young kids at home and they're just kind of like collapsing at the end of the day. Well, the reality is that fulfillment isn't necessarily the goal, but glorifying the Lord and serving your spouse. So the question is, am I expecting too much? Well, potentially. I mean, potentially you are expecting too much if your expectations are other than those. And you're like, darn it. I, <laughs> I subscribed to Transformed. Unsubscribe. Well, I, I do want to be candid because at times guys can actually cultivate unrealistic expectations of their wives. And I find too, and I'm not saying this is true for this particular listener or for you as the listener who wrote this, but I do find too that sometimes guys are feeding those desires and as they're feeding those desires, it's cultivating unrealistic expectations. So remember that your wife is your wife and you're, and you're engaging with her to honor her. But if you make it about your fulfillment because you've cultivated these passions and desires through what you're watching or what you're thinking about or what you're meditating on all day, then you're setting her up for failure. It's, she is not there to help fulfill your passions. Uh, she is there to be your wife and your help meet, according to Genesis 2.18. Uh, 
So you have to attenuate some of your expectations back and make sure that you're you're grounding them in the Bible, grounding them in loving the Lord first and loving her secondarily. Are you sinning in your response? I would answer that, yeah, you potentially are sinning in your response if you are prone towards bitterness or if you're letting this fester. Uh, the reality is resentment and bitterness are a sin. And we can go directly to the Ephesians 4.32 passages in 4.31 where there should be no bitterness but forgiveness. So yeah, unfortunately, uh, you may be sinning against your wife in your expectations here and letting that tempt you to bitterness. And in that way, maybe you haven't considered it this way, but in that way, maybe what God is doing is actually refining you by not giving you what you want immediately. And you're like, okay, wait, that was just turning into a counseling session. Well, I mean, you asked partly, but secondarily, when we become bitter, when we don't get what we want, then now we know that something is starting to take God's place in our life. And in the context of marriage, sexual intimacy may be part of that. So if you're not getting what you want and you're tempted to bitterness, then the Lord in his kindness is refining you to say, even if you don't get what you want, and we could easily substitute in respect or love or appreciation or a warm meal when I arrive home. You could easily substitute any of those. When we don't get those and we're tempted towards bitterness, we really have to check our own motivations and heart. When we don't get them, will we be pleasing to the Lord? Now, before you feel like you asked the question and got your hand smacked for asking, that is not my intent. So I would like to just give you a couple of final thoughts. And for you as listeners, I'm going to go back to what I said, uh, first of all, in the first question that I answered, which is unity. I think unity is an integral part of cultivating all of the different spheres of intimacy to include sexual intimacy. But unity comes through communication. You don't just arrive at unity, you fight for unity. So if there are different expectations for what is realistic and what is not realistic, then the best way to overcome those is not by demanding your own way or maintaining expectations that might be overly high, but by communicating and communicating in a loving and gracious way, seeking to understand and seeking to accommodate for the other person. We want to promote unity more than fulfillment. Did you catch me on that? We want to promote unity more than fulfillment. And a healthy relationship that has biblical God-honoring principles of sexual intimacy is often going to be a relationship that is unified. You see, you can't reverse engineer unity to come from sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy is an overflow of unity. So make sure there's nothing that's causing division like expectations in sexual intimacy and then watch how sexual intimacy will grow in light of that. So the practical advice that I would offer here is whenever you feel like you're stuck, make sure that you are unified in the way that you're communicating those expectations. And after you've communicated, come to an agreement on things that are realistic, that is when you can now hold the expectations that you have developed together. But don't force those expectations onto your spouse because that's often going to be unfair to them or burdensome. So as a spouse, when you hear this, you should think something like, oh, well, my secondary goal is to serve them, to care for them, and they may have different desires and passions that I do, but I'm going to do my best to serve them in a way that is realistic. 
And when we're both doing that, then fulfillment is the result of that. But if we're not doing that or we begin to break down in communicating and helping uh, be sensitive to the needs of our spouse, then the reality is that our unity will be affected by that. So I would encourage you, um, for those of you who are listening, broad picture, it is helpful at times to study sexual intimacy, but for those of you who are single or perhaps you're engaged, honestly, I would be very careful about studying biblical principles of sexual intimacy because I think at times it actually sets you up for impurity. So one of the principles that I tell my students here at Masters, I teach a class called Marriage and Family, and there's typically about 60 students in there every class, and we have a section where we go through biblical principles of sexual intimacy. And I tell them, look, after going through 1 Corinthians 7, if you're single, if you're engaged, uh, recently divorced, widowed, I think you got to be very careful thinking these principles through. So what do you do? You know that 1 Corinthians 7 is there and you access it when it is applicable in the context of marriage. But other than that, I'm not saying you skip a part of the Bible, but I am saying that you don't go through and meditate on these different aspects because I want us to be people who are pure. I want us to be individuals that are fighting for purity and taking precautions. So understand those principles, fold them away, put them in the shoebox, slide the shoebox underneath your bed and access them when they are appropriate within the marriage context. Hope that's helpful to you. Okay, well, thanks for joining us for today's episode. We've been able to work through two of the questions. I'm going to pray for you guys before we're done. And again, if you have questions, please send them my way so I can do my best to help serve you guys by answering them. Lord, I do pray that as listeners engage, that they would take the principles they're hearing and that they would begin to say, well, what about my circumstance? And may you give me ears to hear, to listen well, and to help acutely take your word and apply it to different circumstances in a way that is beneficial for all of us to hear. So we ask that you would continue to be with our weeks, help us to honor you in the different capacities that you've given to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.